Leviticus chapter 1 through 7 describes five specific offerings that God gave to Israel in that Old Testament way of worship. Some of those offerings were offered daily. Some of them were offered at the discretion of the offerer, just depending upon his need. Now, those offerings was God's way or God's prescription for worship for the nation of Israel. This is how they worshiped him. This is how they, they communed with him. And sometimes they would bring an offering to confess a sin. Sometimes they would bring an offering that was just thanks, praise to the Lord. Sometimes the offering was to make a specific petition from God. And those offerings were burnt offering, meat offering, peace offering, sin offering, and trespass offering. And I'm going to ignore everything that I want to say about those offerings as introduction. I'm going to, I'm going to ignore all of that except for one thing. Now, three of those offerings were atonement offerings. They were offerings that you would bring in confession of sin. And the first of those was the burnt offering. That would be the one that you would think of the most because that phrase is found so often in the Bible. All of the offerings were burnt offerings in that they were all consumed by fire. But the burnt offering was a particular offering. It was the most frequent offering because the priest was to offer that on the altar twice a day, every morning and every evening. But in addition to that, individuals could bring a burnt offering anytime they felt the need to pray or to confess or to praise. And, and I really believe that the New Testament equivalent of that would be Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies to be sacrifice. You know that verse. The second atonement offering was the sin offering. Now the sin offering, as its name indicates, was an offering for sin. But as we'll see tonight, it was specifically an offering for sins of ignorance. The burnt offering was for sins that you knew that you had committed and you came to confess that to the Lord. But what if you violated a law without intent? What if you were ceremonially unclean? You touched a leper and you didn't know that he was a leper. What if you violated some law and you didn't know that? There are some times that I speed down the highway fully aware that I'm speeding. Fully aware. Know it. Got to get there. There are some times, there are some times that I'm not sure what the speed limit is. We were driving to Louisiana Thursday, Wednesday night or Thursday morning, headed out to a fishing trip, and, and we got on that road, and, 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 and it just kept going from 65 to 45 to 55 to 45 to 65, and it was just a game. And I, I the point times, I, I didn't know. So there, there are times, there are times when, when you violate a law and you're not even aware of it. Now, ignorance of the law is no excuse. So there was an offering for that. And then the trespass offering. The trespass offering was an offering for sin, but, but it was in particular for sins that was committed related to the holy things. You'll, you'll find that in Leviticus 5 and verse 14, if a soul commit a trespass in the holy things of the Lord. It's talking about the tabernacle, the priesthood, things of that, thing, that nature. And so, so, so if you committed a sin, such as a priest um, desecrating something that was holy, that would be the trespass offering. And in most cases, that would be unintentional and it would be in ignorance, but, but it does not diminish the seriousness of the sin. 
And there were so many minute details in all of those offerings that it was very likely that somebody would mess up. Maybe they would eat a portion of the offering that was reserved, not for them, but for the priest. And that's where that offering would come in. Well, I'm going to look tonight in Leviticus chapter 4 at the sin offering. And, and every detail of it is very important and it, and it teaches us something. And, and here's the challenge tonight. I don't want to get lost in the weeds. But I believe that God's Word will teach us something if we, if we give it our undivided attention. Now, we don't offer burnt offerings, obviously. And we don't have an altar where we slaughter goats and lambs. But in the Old Testament way of worship, there are timeless truths that apply to a Christian today. Tomorrow I want to worship God. Not just today, but tomorrow. And tomorrow I want to be clean before God. And I want my life tomorrow to be an offering to Him. I want it to be a reasonable sacrifice. And the beginning, the genesis of that sacrifice is first laid out in the book of Leviticus and all of these offerings. And the sin offering in particular, it is, it is an offering for sins of ignorance, unintentional sins. That when you become aware that, whoa, I violated that law. I touched an unclean thing. I, I, something that I did, when you become aware of it, and you bring this offering to God and you confess that and there's a remedy for that sin. And that offering, though we do not offer it, teaches us several things about our situation and our walk with God. And the first lesson that it's going to teach us is a realization of our sin. Look at Leviticus chapter 4 and look at verse number 1. The Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin. Now the significance of that word is that that is the first time that the word sin or any word for sin shows up in the book of Leviticus. That's the first time. But now in chapter 4, the word sin, sinned, or sinneth is going to be brought up 26 times in this one chapter alone. So the emphasis is there that, that this offering is for sin committed. This offering was prescribed for Israel to have a living demonstration and a reminder of their sin. There's no other purpose for you to bring it. But when you become aware of your sin, you want to confess that sin and have it atoned for. This is the offering. So, so by virtue of the fact that this is the first time that sin is mentioned, and it's mentioned 26 times in this chapter, it, it is putting it in our face, a realization of our sin. And I'm afraid that many of us go through daily life without ever facing the wretchedness of our sin before God. We, we sin with impunity. We sin impulsively. We sin almost automatically. And we sin without any thought about it, without any remorse, without any hesitation. And, and I think that we forget that sin destroys fellowship, that sin kills joy, that sin hinders prayer. Sin, sin is, is an, an insidious thing. It is, a, it is a terrible thing. 
Somebody has counted. I haven't, so I haven't verified it. Somebody has counted the concept of sin over a hundred times in the book of Leviticus. And if you and I are going to have any communion with God on a daily basis, we have to come to terms with our sin. In fact, you'll never have a high view of the Savior until you have a low view of your sinfulness. How can you appreciate the cure without being aware of the disease? No, no worshiper ever came with this offering without first being struck in his heart that he's violated the law of God and how dreadful that that made him feel. And when you feel your dreadfulness, that is when you have the greatest appreciation for the remedy. That's why we can sing songs about the grace of God and some Christians get all excited about it. And at other times we can sing songs about the grace of God and there's no excitement about it. Because you can't appreciate grace until you are aware of guilt. Now sin, what is sin? Sin is a violation of God's law. It is trespassing against God's command. The most common definition that is given to sin is missing the mark. Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's the most common definition. I don't like that definition because you can miss the mark by a hair's breadth. I mean, you can almost hit it just, just off just a little bit. So, so maybe all of sin is not that far off of the mark. Maybe it's just a little bit. I like the Bible definition better. First John 3 and verse 4, Whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And here's how pervasive sin is in our heart, that even when we set to do our heart to do good, we often find ourselves sinning. Isaiah the prophet said that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And the sin offering is given to Israel to emphasize to them the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Years ago, I read that Puritan paper book, paper, paperback by, I think it was Ralph Vinnings that wrote The Plague of Plagues. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. So, so this is an offering that is for sin. However, it's not for sin in general. It's a particular sin. Look back again at verse 2. Speaking to the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done. Now, ignorance, again, is no excuse of the law, but God does view sins of defiance differently than sins of ignorance. Oh, he does. I want you to hold your finger right here. I want you to go to Numbers chapter 15. I'll show you the contrast. Numbers chapter 15. Tonight you've got to listen on purpose, all right? We're going to discover some doctrines, so just stay with me on purpose. But look at Numbers 15 and look at verse 28. The priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly, when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord, to make an atonement for him, and it should be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Do you see the difference between presumption and ignorance? Presumptuous sins are sins that are committed in defiance and open rebellion. It is when you know to do the good and doeth it not. 
There are sins that are committed out of rebellion. There are sins that are committed out of weakness and human frailty. If a blind man, if a blind man comes to a sign that says no trespassing, he does not have the ability to discern that he has trespassed. He doesn't, have, he doesn't know. He's guilty by, by, by letter of the law, but not by the intent of his heart. Now, if somebody comes to him and tells him, hey, there's a no trespass sign here. You're not supposed to be here. Now he realizes what he has done. He can try to make amends, but there's no willful defiance in that. So, so there's a difference between, between sins of presumption and sins of ignorance. I'll give you a great passage. It's Psalm 19 and verse 12, David. Here's what he said. He said, who can understand his errors? You want me to answer it for you? Nobody. Oh, if I know my heart, that's the problem. You don't. Because the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked and it's deceitful above all things. <laughs> the most deceitful, lying thing in the world is my heart and your heart. Huh? So when he says, who can understand his errors? He's not saying that you can. He's saying you can't. Yeah. Who can understand his errors? And then he says, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Now that's not talking about faults that I've done that I've kept secret. Nobody found out. I think he's talking about faults I don't even know about. Things that I've done that have not been revealed to me. Who can understand his errors? Nobody can. I can't know my heart. So Lord, if you see things that are secret to me, cleanse me of secret faults. He goes on to say, he says, keep thy servant from presumptuous sins. Lest they have dominion over you. Then shall I be a bride and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. You know, most people, they just want to be innocent of the great transgression. That great sin, that great fall that is ruinous and destroys everything and ends the marriage and all of that. Boy, that's the sin that I don't want to commit. No, you and I ought to be concerned about the presumptuous sin. Because the presumptuous sin is the sin that will have dominion over you. It is the sin that you know that is wrong. You know it's wrong to look at that. You know it's wrong to listen to that. You know it's wrong to go there. But it's that sin of presumption, that rebellion, that defines, that, 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 that's the sin that controls you, dominates you. What we really ought to be concerned about is the secret thought. I sure don't want to commit the great transgression. I, I pray, I pray that God and His grace keeps me from that sin that destroys the ministry and destroys the marriage and ends the family and ends the disgrace. I, I don't ever want to commit that. I don't want to commit presumptuous sins either. I don't want sin to have dominion over my life every day. But, oh, Lord, you search my heart. You search my heart. That's why David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. O Lord, you search the meditations of my heart. And if you see secret faults in my heart, oh, may I be cleansed of even those secret faults. You know, there are... There are things that you did and you thought and you lived before you got saved and you didn't know that it was wrong. 
Now, you no longer do those things. Because when you got saved, there became a realization that those things were sin. They have no place in the life of a believer. There are some of you, you drank before you got saved, or you smoked, or whatever it might have been, and you never had a guilty pain over none of that. But when you got saved, the Holy Spirit just has a way. He just has a way of just making you know some things. Now, you didn't quit everything the day you got saved. That, that is a progression. And over the years, you have discovered many more things in your life that was displeasing to the Lord. And you've had to break from those things over and over and over. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you suppose you're done? Huh? Do you suppose that you have reached the level of sinless perfection and you are completely free from all sinful thoughts and attitudes and deeds? And Oh, I don't think so. See, 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 I know that pride is wrong, but I may not be aware that there's some in my heart. I mean, I can give you a verse that tells you that covetousness is a sin, but, but there might be seeds of covetousness in my, in my heart. You may have an ungrateful that ain't a discontent spirit. You might be critical and judgmental of others. You may be guilty of sins that you know are sin. They're just not aware that they're in you. And that is why you and I need a daily cleansing of the Word. We've been cleansed by the blood, but we need that daily cleansing. I need the Word and the Spirit to search the secret intents of my heart and to show me even those times that I've transgressed the sins of the laws of God and I wasn't even aware of it. Or my heart wasn't right when I spoke to that person. Or my, my attitude toward them was wrong. Lord, I, I've, I've been dissatisfied with what you provided. And that's just honoring to God. And I'm saying tonight that the realization that we all need is that sin is pervasive. It is so pervasive that it can be present in us without us even knowing it. It's the realization of our sin. But then back to Leviticus chapter 4, there's a second truth that we are taught from this Old Testament offering, and that is the remedy that we are given. Because for the rest of Leviticus chapter 4, we are given the instructions for this sin offering. Now again, it is specifically for the sins of ignorance, but there are very precise details on how to perform it. Now this is very important. We're not going to get lost in the weeds. We're going to read some verses here in just a minute. This is very important. The instructions was not the same for everybody. It was the same offering but different people were told to do different things. There is no other offering. There is no other offering like the burnt offering or the peace offering that is not brought in the same way. No matter who brings the peace offering, you bring it the same way. But in this offering, there are different categories of people in need of forgiveness. And the ritual, if you please, differed depending on who is bringing it. Now that's interesting to me. So there is first the sinning priest. Look at verse number three. We're going to read some verses. Now, are you still with me? So look at verse three. If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. 
The priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. The priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar, sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar, the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock for the sin offering, the fat that covers the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards. And the two kidneys and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver, with the kidneys it should be taken away." As it, as it was taken off from the bullock of the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar, the burnt offering. And the skin of the bullock and all his flesh with his head, with his legs and his inwards and his dung, even the whole bullock shall they carry forth without the camp into a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn him on the wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, shall he be burnt. Now, the priest, this is just for the priest. The priest is God's mediator for the people. He represents God to the people. He represents the people to God. But he is still a man at best. And he has to make sacrifice for his own sins. There is no expectation that an earthly priest would be a sinless priest. He's not a perfectly sinless man. But you cannot, you cannot bear sin and intercede for the sins of others at the same time. By the way, there's a great contrast in Hebrews 7. You may already be thinking about it. Verse 27, speaking of the Lord Jesus, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. The high priest of the Old Testament is contrasted with our high priest, Jesus Christ. Every high priest had to offer up sacrifices first for his sins and then the sins of the people. That's the expectation. Not so Jesus Christ. Now, 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 now listen to me. There are some particulars for the priest when he brings us in offering. And the first is that he is required to bring a bullock. A bullock is a young bull. It would be the most expensive offering, the most costly offering. Now later on, you'll find that somebody could bring a goat, somebody could bring a lamb, somebody could bring, and, and even something smaller. But the only thing that a priest could bring is a bullock. And I believe that's telling us that the sins of a spiritual leader are more costly. It requires a more prominent offering. And then we read that he was to kill the bull at the door of the tabernacle, then take some of the blood into the holy place and sprinkle the veil seven times with that blood. God's representative was defiled, and by extension, God's place was defiled. He would take some of the blood, he would sprinkle it on the horns of the altar of incense that represents prayer. I believe it's pointing to the fact that fellowship with God, intercession with God is closed when sin has polluted that holy place. And I was just reminding you that you and I don't have an earthly priest, but we are a priest in the New Testament covenant, and there's no communion, there's no intercession between you and God when sin has polluted our habitation, the dwelling place of God. The priest would then pour the rest of the blood out of the base of the brazen altar, and then he would take the rest of the carcass, all of that bullock, and he would remove it outside of the camp, and he would burn it with fire, and pull the ashes out, it was completely consumed so that the priest could not keep any portion of it. There are some offerings where the priest would keep a portion of the meat for himself, but not so for this one because this offering is for sin. There is no benefit. There is no profit. There is no advantage in sin. 
You don't get anything out of it. It is never to your advantage. So this is for a sinning priest. But then, look at verse number 13. This is the way that a sinning people bring it. Look at verse 13. If the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance... And the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done and are guilty. When the sin which they have sinned against it is known, then the congregation shall offer a young bullock for the sin and bring him before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands upon the head of the bullock before the Lord, and the bullock shall be killed before the Lord. The priest that is anointed shall bring of the bullock's blood to the tabernacle of the congregation, shall dip his finger in some of the blood, sprinkle it seven times before the Lord, even before the veil. And he shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, that is in the tabernacle of the congregation, shall pour out all the blood at the bottom of the altar, the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He shall take all his fat from him and burn it upon the altar. He shall do with the bullock as he did with the bullock for a sin offering. So shall he do with this. And the priest shall make an atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them, and it shall carry forth the bullock without the camp, and burn him as he burned the first bullock. It is a sin offering for the congregation. This time it is the entire nation that has sinned and brought about God's displeasure. You read congregation, you read assembly. So it is a recognition of corporal sin, a national sin. And again, it's unintentional, it's done through ignorance, but, but it is sin nonetheless. And so this time the elders, the elders of Israel come, and this time they lay their hands on the head of that bullock and they confess the sins of the nation. They're the representatives of the nation. They're confessing sin not just for themselves, but for everybody else. And again, again, the, the requirements and the ritual for, for, for the congregation sin offering is exactly as before except one notable difference. And I don't know if you picked it up or not, but look at verse number 20. He should do with the bullock as he did with the bullock for his sin offering. So shall he do with this. Here's the difference. And the priest shall make an atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. What's interesting in the case of the sinning priest is there is no pronouncement of forgiveness. Now maybe it's implied, but it's not stated. When the priest offers the sin offering for himself, he doesn't pronounce forgiveness. But when he offers for everybody else, he does pronounce forgiveness. Because the priest cannot pronounce his own forgiveness. And even now, when they offer this bullock, they, they take this bull outside the camp of the burning fire. Even when they've offered it, and the priests pronounce the atonement and the forgiveness of sins for the people, they still have to take the bull and they still take it outside of the camp and they still burn it. It is an ugly, messy fare and I believe it is to sear into our mind a disgust for sin. Do not ever think lightly of sin even when it's been washed away. This is sinning people. Now in verse 22 through verse 26 is a sinning ruler. Look at verse 22. When a ruler has sinned and done somewhat through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord, he is God concerning things which should not be done and is guilty. Or if his sin wherewith he has sinned come to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering. Watch this. A kid of the goats, a male without blemish. He shall lay his hand upon the head of the goat, kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. 
And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and shall pour out his blood at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering. And he shall burn all his fat upon the altar as the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall make an atonement for him as concerning his sin and it shall be forgiven him. Now this third category is rulers, probably tribal leaders or some kind of civil leaders, rulers, elders, elders in Israel. If you have power to call others to account, don't forget that you too are accountable for God. Now, now there's a difference in this offering. And the most significant is that this offer can bring a, bring a kid of the goats, a male, without blemish. It's not a spiritual leader, political leader. And could it be to point out that, that it's not as costly an offering because the sins of political leaders are not as costly as the sins of spiritual leaders? sin of a ruler. In verse 27 through verse number 35, you have a sinning individual. And I'll not read the verses, but you come to just a common man. He has no position spiritually or politically. He's not in any position of leadership or accountability to anybody else. He has sinned without awareness. He has sinned in ignorance, but it is sin nonetheless. He is guilty. And chapter 5 would even give you some examples of what it could be. It could be, it could be that, that, that he has come into contact with something that is unclean, and he didn't know that. It could be that he has touched a leper. If you've touched a leper, that makes you unclean. But if you don't know that that man is a leper, then how do you know? You come to that knowledge later. Perhaps a man, and this, this would be a case in Old Testament law, perhaps a man would marry a woman who, who, who he thought was, was, was a virgin, was, was never married, and then after he marries her, and, and lies with her, then discovers that, she, that she's already married. Now what do you do about that? You didn't know. That was ignorance. But you're guilty nonetheless. Now, now, now here's what's unique about the sin offering for just the common man. Is that when he's made aware of his sin, he could bring several kinds of offerings. Look at verse number 28. Now, now, now watch this. Or his sin, which he has sinned, come to his knowledge. Then he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sin. Do you see that? All right. Common man. Anybody that has committed the sin of ignorance and you, and you want to get that confessed, there's a remedy. And what you bring is you bring a kid of the goats, a female without blemish. What if you don't have one? What if you're too poor? Look at chapter 5. Look at verse 7. And if he be not able to bring a lamb, then he should bring for his trespass which he hath committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons unto the Lord, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So, so here, here's the remedy. You bring a female goat, a male without blemish, but, but if you are so poor that you don't have any flocks, you're stuck. Well, if, you, if, you, if you can't afford that, if you don't have that, then bring two pigeons, two turtle doves. What if you don't have any? What if you're just so poor you can't afford even two turtle doves? Well, look at verse eleven. But if he be not be, but if he be not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he that sin shall bring for his offering the tenth part of an ephah of fine flour for sin offering. He should put no oil upon it, neither shall he put any frankincense thereon, for it is a sin offering. Do you know what you're reading right there? You are reading the vast measure of God's grace. 
The prescribed offering is a young female goat, but if you are so poor that you don't have one, then you bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. But if you're so poor that you don't have that, then you bring just enough meal to make a loaf of bread and you don't have to have any frankincense. You don't have any oil with it. I tell you, you just bring what you can. You come to God with a humble heart, confessing your sin. God will accept even that. I'm glad tonight to say that God's mercy is very wide. That God wanted his people to know that forgiveness is available to anybody that seeks it. His mercy is not beyond the reach of even the very poorest in the nation. Thank God for that. Man, even in Leviticus 4, you can find a preaching point. So here's the sin offering, clear instructions, minute details. You bring this when you've committed the sin of ignorance. And here's Here's what it's teaching us. I'll get to the third point. It's teaching us that we must take responsibility for even unintentional sins. Ignorance and unintentionality does not, does not remove responsibility. And when we have received the revelation of our sin through the Word of God, then we must take the responsibility to confess that sin. And the greater our position and privilege, the more serious our sin becomes. But when that sin is confessed and forgiveness is spoken into our heart, that offering, that offering is removed outside of the camp and it is reminding us that when God forgives a sin, He completely removes it away from us. He removes it from His sight and it should be removed from our sight as well. Thank God for so there's the realization of our sin. There's the remedy that we're given. I'll, I'll hurry with this. There's the Redeemer that we have. Because the sin offering points to the sin offering Jesus Christ. Is there a remedy for your sins? Yes, there is. It is in the blood of Jesus Christ. All of the offerings point to Jesus. And in this offering, we see our Savior so clearly. Let me mention this to you. I, I'm watching the clock. I, I, I'm watching it. In Leviticus chapter 16, you may know that that prescribes the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, one day in the calendar year, it is on that day that one man, the high priest, takes an offering. And he takes the blood, and he doesn't go into the holy place. He goes into the most holy place, the, high, the holy of holies. That's where the ark of God, that's where the, that's where the mercy seat's at. And he sprinkles that blood on the mercy seat inside of that most holy place. He's the only person ever allowed to go behind the veil. He goes there only one day in the year. Do you know the offering that he takes? It's the sin offering. He takes the sin offering. Because it is on that day that an offering is made to atone for any sins that have not been atoned for by any other sacrifice. All the sins of the year that have not been atoned for are atoned for on that day by that offering. Well, what sins could that be? It's sins that they're not aware of. And I love this statement, that that offering covered everything. It covered everything that nothing else had covered. That's what it covered. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He, he became sin and the sin offering for us. He became the offering that was offered on the altar of the cross that was atoned for the sins of the whole world. And his offering covered everything. <laughs> it covered everything that nothing else had covered. And there are men and women, there are men and women who live in sin. And they're not even aware of it. 
And one day the Holy Spirit shines the spotlight of conviction on their soul. And they realize for the first time that I am a sinner, but what am I to do? There is a remedy in the blood of Jesus Christ. I, I give this to you. I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to wrap it up. I, I give you something here real quick. Day, day of atonement. Day of atonement. He offered a burnt sacrifice. He offered a sin, sin offering as well. But on the day of atonement, that high priest did something that he didn't do on any other year. The high priest would bring two goats to the tabernacle. And the high priest would lay his hands on the head of one goat and he would confess the sins of the nation, symbolically transferring the sins of the nation to that goat. That's called the scapegoat. He would take the other goat and he would slay that goat. That goat, the sacrificial goat, its blood would be shed as an atonement for the sins. You slay one goat, you come over there to the scapegoat, you lay your hands on that goat, and you confess the sins of the people. Well, there's something happens in Leviticus chapter 16 doesn't happen anywhere else in your Bible. Nowhere else in your Bible. And if you heard this, act like you haven't. But he looks out over the camp, and the Bible says that he picks a fit man. That's the phrase, fit man. Only found one time in that, in that book. And he takes a fit man out of the camp and he gives him that scapegoat that's bearing our sins. And that fit man, his job is to take that goat, symbolically bearing the sins of the nation, and he's to lead that goat out there into the wilderness far, far away and release him far enough away so they can never come back into the camp. Now, now, in the Day of Atonement, here's what you have. You have a high priest. He is the one who makes the offer. He's the one who stands between God and man. He is the one who makes atonement for the nation. And I'm going to tell you who he's a picture of. In that story, he is a picture of Jesus Christ, who is both the offering and the offer. The one who made the atonement, the one who is the mediator between God and man. But then in that story, you have the sacrificial goat. This, this is the animal that is killed, and his blood is shed as a ransom for sins. He, he dies for somebody else's sins. Now, let me tell you who that's a picture of. That is a picture of Jesus Christ, who gave his life and shed his blood for our sins. But then in the story, you have the scapegoat. The scapegoat is the one who becomes the sin bearer. All of the sins are placed upon him, and he's put outside of the camp because he carried our sin. Now, now I'm telling you the high priest, that's a picture of Jesus. And the sacrificial goat that has to die, that's a picture of Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you who the scapegoat is a picture of. It is a picture of none other than Jesus, who bore our sins in his own body on the tree, who became sin for us. But then there's that fifth man. There's that, there's that fifth man. There, there's the man who's responsible to carry our sins far, far away, to remove them from sight and to remove them from memory, to take them away where they can never come back to haunt me. And I'll tell you who the fit man is a picture of. He's a picture of none other than Jesus Christ. He carried my sins far, far away. <laughs> He's my fit man. Man, what I'm trying to say is that all of these offerings are a picture of Jesus Christ. Man, he's all in them. 
As you contemplate the sin offering, he is pointing you to the sin offering. And there are several practical truths that, that we relate to, and I'll, I'll be done with this. And the first is the value of having such a sacrifice that is available to us. Now, you think about Israel committing those sins, they have no idea of what graciousness of God to provide a remedy for all sin, even sins that are committed in ignorance. And how gracious that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We, we could sing about the blood of Christ and it not stir you because we've already heard that. But I would tell you, if not for the blood of Christ, you and I would have no entrance into the throne of God. Without the blood, there would be no forgiveness of sin. Oh, the value of having a sacrifice. But then when we look at this sin offering, it teaches us the seriousness of our sin before God. Because no matter how small, how insignificant you think the sin is, it requires the blood of Jesus to cleanse it. God does not minimize the sins of ignorance. He doesn't say, oh, we didn't know, it's no big deal. Oh, it's not sin. It, no, no, I'm telling you, sin on every level requires death and it requires the bloodshed and it requires a burnt sacrifice and a nation is being taught that all sin requires sacrifice. So may you and I never minimize one sin. May we never say it was just a little white lie and it's not important. No, it is important. And that smallest sin that you and I commit, that pride that is in my heart and I'm not even aware of it, that sin required the blood of Jesus Christ. Then as I close, may you and I have the confidence that God will forgive you of every sin. And he stands ready to do so if you will just confess that sin to him. God takes sin more seriously than we do. And God is more eager to forgive than we are to confess. Don't let sin go unconfessed. Don't, don't just ignore it as just a small thing. It's not a small thing that you and I can avail ourselves of daily cleansing, that you and I can walk in holiness before the Lord. Why? If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what graciousness. And it doesn't leave me of my sin. So I can get on my knees and say, Lord, I, I didn't know. I should have known, but I didn't know. That word that I spoke in haste and anger, that attitude, I know it's wrong, and I'm sorry, and I ask you to forgive me. And there's a remedy for that sin. Bow your heads with me.